Welcome to Beyond Blathers, the podcast where we dive deeper into the insects, fish, and fossils you can find in Animal Crossing New Horizons. I'm Sophia Osborne. And I'm Olivia DeBercier. Today we're going to be talking... Oh, wait. (laughs) I just realized, how do you pronounce this? (laughs) Oh, yeah. No, that's fair. So today we're going to be talking about Quetzalcoatlus. Or Coatlus? Okay. I feel like it's pronounced Coatlus just because of... I don't know actually why I think that no <laughs> in the videos they were like coatless and I was Petzl. like oh that's interesting maybe that's an anglified way of saying it because okay. I'm thinking like coatties spelled the similar way and you say coati you don't say coati right I don't know <laughs> okay so we're gonna be talking about Quetzalcoatlus yeah we'll, we'll try that Quetzalcoatlus <laughs> <laughs> one of the skeletons you'll eventually reconstruct in your museum. If you ask Blathers about this fossil in New Horizons, he says, the Quetzalcoatlus, the undisputed ruler of the skies, at least during the late Cretaceous period, it had a magnificent wingspan of roughly 36 feet, making it one of the largest flying animals ever. While it no doubt soared magnificently, we now know that it also crawled on all fours. It's a bit disappointing, really. This illustrious sky god scrabbling on the ground like a common beetle. They say you should never meet your heroes. Wow. Downer. (laughs) Okay. No. No. (laughs) Okay, I want to, like, repaint that image. You're like, it's 67 million years ago. This isn't an animal scrabbling on the ground. No. This is, like, a time when T-Rex is roaming the land. This is, like right peak dinosaur season they're everywhere like dinosaurs went extinct 66 million years ago this is like one million years before that which is still a lot but like grand scheme of things not very much so just dinosaurs absolutely everywhere and you're just roaming this plains habitat you've got these grasses it's really open and let's just imagine you're a little distracted by the view and all of a sudden you turn a corner and there is a freaking Quetzalcoatlus, the size of a giraffe with a beak that's two and a half meters long and the wingspan the length of a bus. And it's just standing there picking off dinosaurs that are wandering around on the ground. No problem because it's like a herring. It can just go in there and grab those things. Just absolutely mind blowing. So sorry, blathers. I don't know what on earth you're on about. That's such a funny image. Like, (laughs) A heron, but it's the size of like a giraffe. Yeah, and it's a bus. Just <laughs> literally huge. Just actually terrifying. Yeah, I would definitely recommend to any listener right now just like look it up quickly on your phone because there's a lot of illustrations of it like next to a human and it's just insane. I have to say, this is probably some of the nicest paleo art I've ever seen is for these. Well, I guess pterosaurs in general have some beautiful paleo art, but also paleo sculptures. So cool. (laughs) Really cool. And so was it a dinosaur then? You said this was like the height of dinosaur times. Yeah, it wasn't actually a dinosaur. So it is, as I mentioned before, a pterosaur, and they were kind of just flying reptiles. So they're related to crocodilians and to those non-avian dinosaurs, so things like T-Rex, Stegosaurus, all that jazz. 
um, but they were their own lineage. So they're also not birds, which is also important to mention. Although they could get to be as small as even like a finch today. Like you could hold one in your hands if you were alive 67 million years ago. <laughs> um, so pterosaurs were really diverse and they also had feather-like coverings and those were called pinko fibers or pincho fibers. I'm not totally sure how to pronounce that which weren't quite feathers, but something very similar that helped to keep them warm, especially for things like the Quetzalcoatlus, which was likely soaring really high in the sky and would need something to keep it warmer because it is thought that it was probably warm-blooded, which is kind of cool. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that because I know Blathers says that they could soar majestically like sky gods and everything, but I mean, <laughs> they were so, so huge. I just can't imagine anything that big actually flying. Yeah, so that's, I guess, a big question. And I will mention, in reference to the whole sky god thing, Quetzalcoatlus is named after the Mesoamerican god Quetzalcoatl, which was like a a flying feathered snake, I think, mm. is the typical depiction of it. Although, of course, it varies from culture to culture. But yeah, it, it could fly. And it's probably the biggest flying organism ever to exist, or at least top three, because there's two other also giraffe-sized pterosaurs that we know of, one of which was found in Alberta and has probably the coolest name I have ever heard in my whole life, which is the Cryodraken Boreas, which basically translates to frozen dragon. Just loving that. Also, there was another one called Hatsigopteryx, and it was from Transylvania. And I don't know, I feel like that location just kind of makes me happy that there was once an immense flying bat-like creature in Transylvania millions and millions of years ago. Anyway, that was a little bit of a tangent, but yes, they did fly. And what's amazing about it is something that big, basically there's two big problems. The first is how do you stay in the air? And the second is how do you get into the air in the first place? Now, right now, currently alive, the largest bird is the wandering albatross. And the albatross has a wingspan of about three meters, which in comparison with the 10 meter wingspan of the Quetzalcoatlus is quite a bit smaller. For an albatross, it's not that hard to get into the air. They pretty much leap and catch some air and and that's how they fly. But for something as big as a Quetzalcoatlus, trying to jump is a lot harder. Uh, Now for one, they do have hollow bones, just like birds do. And so that probably helps them not have to carry quite as much weight as they might initially appear to have. They also probably had really strong legs in order to jump. So they probably could have jumped like a few meters into the air. Now this is in contrast to, you know, a lot of images we might've seen as kids watching cartoons about dinosaurs where you see these pterosaurs kind of jumping off cliffs and and gliding. And that probably wouldn't have actually worked. It wouldn't have given them the lift required to initially gain air, I guess. But another really important thing that scientists and even like engineers have been struggling with to figure out was their legs weren't that big. Were they able to just get that lift from their legs? Probably not. So they're really thinking now that they would have jumped off all four limbs. So they would have kind of gotten a running start, very similar to the way bats will get air. And that's another thing I recommend if you have a chance to just, you know, fiddle around YouTube or Google for a bit, just search like slow-mo bat takeoff. It's quite amazing. I've never seen that before. I just kind of assumed that birds and bats would just start flapping their wings and that's how they flew, but no, they actually jump. And so yeah, imagine something as big as a giraffe, just like kind of running and then jumping and then suddenly taking off. I mean, that would have just been amazing. Yeah, that's so interesting. They're kind of huge bats with also with huge beaks. 
that are kind of like giraffes, but also like a bus. That is really interesting, though, that they they would jump. I never, would never think of that, but that makes so much sense. But it's also just the idea of one of those like pounding towards you like at a full run and I then know. jumping and taking off. Wow. Actually so scary. Like big things running towards you. Just a quite an image. And also something that pointy. Yeah. Like it's just this massive beak. And the ground probably shaking. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Well, I wonder if they were like heavy enough. I heard they're like kind of as heavy as a grizzly bear. Okay. So, yeah. I maybe. mean, if they had hollow bones too, so. Yeah. I mm. guess so. Still heavy. <laughs> Still pretty big. Yeah. So you were talking about how there were some other huge pterosaurs found in Alberta and Transylvania. But how were these ones uh, specifically discovered? So a student named Douglas Lawson found them during a dig in Texas in 1974. And him and his professor, Dr. Wen Langston Jr., found three more specimens uh, sometime later in the same area. And so initially when they found Quetzalcoatlus, they found really not very many bones. They found like a wrist bone, like some arm bones. So it's kind of amazing that from fossils that basically fit in a drawer, two drawers in a museum, they were able to extrapolate to this massive creature. But they got to that because they compared those bones to a number of other pterosaurs and went, well, this is definitely a pterosaur bone. It's hollow and it looks really similar to these other species. So we can kind of extrapolate. And then a number of years later, they found three other species of Quetzalcoatlus. So the the really big one we've been talking about for this episode has been Quetzalcoatlus northropi, and that's that species. And then the three others that they found, they're not totally sure if they're the same species. They're about half the size and they look really similar, but there's still some debate. So they're calling them right now Quetzalcoatlus species. So they're not um, they're not sure enough to give it a specific species name, but, but there's three of them. So they might be juveniles, they might be something else entirely, and it's still not super known. But it's pretty amazing that they can make these amazing ideas out of such a small number of finds. And the other important thing to mention is pterosaurs are really, really hard to find. Their bones don't fossilize easily, either because they're really fragile or also because where they tended to live, they didn't live in environments where things got easily fossilized. So it's pretty special to be able to find any at all. That's really interesting. And weirdly, I definitely had a PE teacher in high school named Doug Lawson. Oh, what? <laughs> yeah. <That's> I, <laughs> he discovered this pterosaur. Yeah, pretty sure it wasn't the same guy, but very interesting. <laughs> no, that is really, really cool, though. Like, it makes me think a lot about... I, I see this discussion kind of surfacing on Twitter every so often about paleo art and, like, how they reconstruct what they what these specimens looked like, I guess. And mm-hmm. um, just kind of if you drew, like, a goose skeleton in the same way um (laughs) like if you try to extrapolate what it looked like it would look terrifying and kind of all these things yeah because they don't tend to like they tend to underestimate muscle and fat mass and stuff yeah like you can kind of guess the weight of an animal and thus like the amount of muscles and fat it may have had based on like how much pressure the bones could hold up but it's still really really hard so sometimes i'm like wow what if these animals looked even bigger than the art depictions show, like, just because they had more, like, muscle mass on them. That would have been pretty amazing. Yeah, or what if they were super cute and, like, cuddly? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so cute and cuddly, just 
massive, just like big giraffes. Yeah. Just big plains cows. But they fly. That also flew. <laughs> Flying cows. Yeah. <laughs> so I know this is kind of a hard question usually with fossils, but do they have any idea about their behavior? Yeah, I mean, this this is, like, constantly debated. I think the biggest, like, behavior question for them is whether they were really migratory, but also, like, how and what did they eat? Because you got to think, like, that animal's massive, probably requires a lot of energy. As far as I could tell, there were three theories that people have about Quetzalcoatlus's feeding habits. The first was they initially thought, because this is an animal that's far away from the sea, far away from really big lakes they thought, okay, this must have been a scavenger. And then they kind of looked at the beak a little bit more and they're like, uh, it probably couldn't have properly scavenged meat. So that's probably unrealistic. It's like beak didn't entirely, like the jaws didn't entirely close up, it looks like. And then the second theory was, okay, well, maybe there were lakes around there and it was a skimmer. So kind of like gulls or terns, you know how they kind of fly over the water and they'll dip their bill in and snap up whatever fish are there. So maybe it did that. But then kind of mid-2000s, they went, oh, you know what, that doesn't seem right either because it would create too much drag in the wings. Its neck wasn't really flexible enough to be able to do that kind of skimming behavior. So that couldn't have been right either. So kind of the third one we're left with at this point is that it wandered around eating and just like picking things up off the ground, kind of like a heron would or like a stork. And so it would just kind of lie in wait and then just sort of snap up and grab whatever little dinosaurs are wandering by, which is to me so much scarier than if it were like a skimmer or a scavenger. So we're left with the scariest option here that it just like lay in wait. And all of a sudden you'd have this like beak suddenly at your neck and well, anyway, that one scares me a little bit more. Yeah, like living when we do, I guess in contemporary times, you never think about something being like way bigger than us, like looking down on us. Um, like maybe giraffes. Yeah, but <laughs> I think of like cougars in the mountains where we live in Canada. But yeah, there's no like building sized animals that are just kind of like you're gonna walk yeah. <laughs> by them and they might just randomly kill you. And like sometimes you're so bad at seeing animals too. Like you can, can you imagine if it was just standing still? Like, when I walk through the forest, I'm like, there's got to be just hundreds of animals that I'm missing just because they're standing still and camouflaged. Hard to say. I think I did read something about them thinking that because of that long bill, they didn't have to move as much. So by staying so, so still, they essentially hid themselves. But they are pretty amazing animals. And like, you know, as much as they look like birds and they maybe also look like bats in some ways... We're never going to have any creature like that ever again, at least for, like, millions and millions of years. Um, and so looking back on that and realizing that something like that once roamed the sky is terrifying and so exciting and, I don't know, quite humbling, at least. Just the idea that there could have been something just picking me off when I go for my, you know, bike through the, the prairies. Just a very humbling thought. Well, thanks so much, Olivia, and thanks everyone for listening. Hope you enjoyed the episode, and tune in next week to learn more about the insects, fish, and fossils you can find in Animal Crossing New Horizons. Bye! See you next week!